0: our ruler. One more. One more. One more time. It's a dope God. He's a dope God. Worthy. Worthy of our praise. If y'all don't mind, I want to I wanna pray one more time. Um, and um, then we're going to just dive into scriptures. Is that all right with y'all? Father, we thank you, Lord God, for um, the power of the gospel. We thank you, Lord God, for the power of truth. We thank you for the power of Christ. We thank you for the power um, that is now at work within your children. Lord God, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that your um, blessing will be upon our time. Help the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart to be uh, acceptable in your sight we proclaim you as our Lord, we proclaim you as our strength, and we proclaim you as our Redeemer. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Today um, we we wrap up a section of uh, John. We're halfway through. So it's taken us um, about eight, nine months to get halfway through the book of John. And um, we're at the halfway point today. Um, And this halfway point Within the book of John is crucial. Um, this, this halfway point within the book of John is crucial because it brings us to a crossroads. It brings us to a unique crossroads where, in a few weeks, um, Pastor Deuce and I, we're going to enter, all of us together, we're going to enter the upper room discourse, um, but, but, which we're going to explain when we get there. But right now, within this discourse, um, we're finding pre the discourse, we're in an interesting section on how John chooses to, um, to lay out the life of Christ to kind of close off a section of the life of Christ. It's a, it's, a, it's a little bit of time, less than six months, maybe less than three months now. Um, less than three months, where Jesus Christ is going to be crucified. And so Jesus Christ in, in, the, in, the, in the upper room discourse is going to focus exclusively on his disciples. But in this section of chapter 12 from verses 20 to about 50, um, we're going we're to do a nice little overview of this. Um, but, but, but in this section, John does something unique. He ends with Jesus giving his last public appeal to the crowds. All of those multitudes and all of those groups of people that have been following him, he now brings things to a head. Um, it it, it kind of reminds us, it's to—it's kind of like a passage about people who have a relationship with each other. And now the relationship is being defined. Jesus is now making a clear definition of what the nature of the relationship is like. You know, it kind of is like in our culture. We have this, you know, we have this jacked up Understanding of a a particular type of relationship is called friends with benefits. And this type of relationship is where people they get into a relationship. They don't put any. We don't want to label our relationship. We just friends. We just we, we don't want to, you know, say that we put any labels on it because labels mess up a relationship. And so within this passage, we see that same thing. But listen to how we do it in our society in relation to this, which reflects this passage. Many times we'll have relationships and we'll let them go undefined and they'll go zigzagging and they'll go they'll go all over the place. And people will want to get the benefits of a relationship. They want to get all everything that comes into the package of a relationship without actually making a definitive commitment. And Jesus doesn't let people get away with that. Jesus doesn't let people pimp him. Um... Jesus doesn't let people front on him, but what he does in this passage is he does something beautiful. He says, you're not going to just be a person that comes into into contact with me, see my signs, see my miracles, eat the food that I provide, all that, and not really begin to give a definition to our relationship. So Jesus says, I'm not going to let you front on me like that. I'm not going to front on you like that. Let's draw some clear lines. Let's talk about what's really going on, and let me tell you what it looks like to be in a relationship with me and what it looks like not to be in a relationship with me. So what I want to do is I want to cut off. I don't want to benefit from you, and you don't want to benefit from me. If you want to be in a relationship with me, then this is what it looks like. It has clear definitions, and you will benefit from it. But if you choose not to be in a relationship with me, to kick it with me, to take on all that it takes to define and clarify that we're actually in a relationship, if you don't want to take our relationship public like you just want to date behind closed doors, Jesus this is not, I'm not the cat for you. He said, you got my number, you've been calling, we've been hollering, but now it's time to go a little bit deeper. Let's go up in this section. We talked about last week, um, the, uh, Mary and her work of worship. And then we move from there to talk about the plot against Jesus's life. And then we got into the triumphal entry where Jesus enters Jerusalem. Then we get to verse 20. It says, now among those who went up to worship, at the feast, that's the Passover, were some Jews. So that Philip, uh, so that these came to Philip who was from Bethesda in Galilee and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus and Jesus answered them, the hour has, uh, has come. For the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, for real, for real, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will be, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The Father will honor him. That brings me to my first point. Jesus challenges us to love ourselves to death. Jesus challenges us to love ourselves to death. Jesus in this passage, of course, you see that it's the Passover. The Passover is the time in which they celebrate the time in which uh, the Jews were relinquished from their captivity from Egypt. And so here in this passage that's going on, so many people would come up into Jerusalem during this time of year. It would be about 200,000 to a quarter of a million, little plus of that, people within this within this city on a hill. And all of these people would invade the city looking for opportunity uh, for several things, looking for opportunity to continue their oneness with God, to see people they haven't seen in a while, to worship in the place where God has designed and chosen at that time to worship, and to see whether or not the Messiah will be revealed during this time. And so during this time, some cats came up to him, some Greek dudes speaking Corne Greek and Slain Greek. They came up and they noticed that 12 of the disciples, uh, 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 11 of them had Hebrew names, and one of them had had a Greek name. His name was Philip. So they went up to Philip and asked Philip, yo, Philip, man, I want to, I want to holler at Jesus. I've been, we've been, we've been catching wind of who he is. And so we, we want to, we want to get some, we want to, we want to holler at him. And so Philip goes to Andrew and say, yo, man, like these Gentile folk want to, want to talk to Jesus. Like why? I don't know why they want to talk to Jesus, but hey, let's, 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 let's see what's good. And he talked to Jesus. About, they put this issue to Jesus. And what's interesting is Jesus' response to his disciples. His response is this He says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Throughout the book of John, Jesus has continuous. Continuously been talking about this glory, that something unique is going to happen. And so he would say all the time, My hour has not come, or he would elude their grasp because his hour had not come. And that hour is the time of his death for him to be glorified. Remember, we talked about what it means to be glorified, um, to, 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 to put something on props, to, to give God props, um, to give him his just due. And so, particularly through the cross, of course, Jesus Christ was going to give God his just due. And so, he, Jesus saw that when the, the not only the Jews who were trying to come to him, some were coming to him, but then he saw when there were Gentile groups coming to him, he marked it as the right time that he was about to be glorified. And as he begins to move through that, he begins to do something beautiful. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is talking about his death here. And Jesus is now beginning to lay out even more clearly and precise terms to his disciples the fact that he didn't just come to get rid of Roman rule, but he came here to die. And Jesus says, if I die, I will bear a multitude of fruit. Now, the sniff on the text is not just bearing fruit. All of this is going somewhere. Not just bearing fruit among the Jews, but bearing global fruit. And what Jesus Christ's death was going to do was do something unique. It was going to draw a multitude of nations to him, which we're going to deal with in explicit and practical terms in a few minutes. And so and so Jesus, after that, after he talks about I'm going to die, he says, listen, if I stay with y'all, y'all not going to get all that God has to offer. If, if I, if I kick it here with y'all until, you know, my physical death, just normal, uh, physical causes of death, you won't get the true benefit of all that I came here for. So what I'm about to do is I'm about to die and the, and the comprehensive benefit that I've been talking about all these three, um, and a half years, three, and three years or so, two and a half years, I've been talking to you about those benefits are about to come. But then Jesus issues a challenge. And he does it beautifully. It's a famous verse. But John words it differently. He said, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. A beautiful statement. This statement is what we call a paradox. In other words, when two... Opposing statements work together to bring forth the truth. Jesus does the characteristics of two types of people here. He gives the characteristics of people who live for personal self-satisfaction, and then he gives the characteristics of a person who lives for eternal satisfaction. Now, let's start with the characteristics of a, of a people who live for their own satisfaction. Jesus Christ says, if anyone loves his life, he loses it. Stop there. The word there I thought was agape until I looked it up and looked in there, and it's actually the word phileo. The word phileo um, a lot of times can mean the same as uh, 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 agape, which is God's unconditional love in a particular passage. But here, Jesus' challenge is very, very different and unique. And the word phileo is, of course, a part of our city's name, Philadelphia, brotherly love. In other words, uh, the the way it's being used here is a self-love. It's it's the type of self-love that makes you do your hair. It's the type of self-love that makes you cut your hair. It's the type of self-love that makes you floss your teeth. It's the type of self-love that makes you uh, wash your body. It's the type of self-love that makes you put on deodorant. It's the type of self-love that seeks the fame of men also. It's the type of self-love that loves approval from other people. It's the type of self-love that sees God's purpose only within the framework of their own purpose, not the other way around. It's the type of self-love that is uh, giving yourself a kiss and a hug in the mirror. Jesus, Jesus says, see, people don't recognize that their love of themselves is killing them. And and, and and Jesus says, I want you to learn how to love yourself to death. But before he talks about loving yourself to death, he talks about people who love themselves. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, it says that men will become lovers of themselves. And Paul was saying that. Years and years and years ago, now that time has, the time of flossing is still at hand. Because people love to flaws, people need to, like to be put on the map, and people love to rig their lives in a way that benefits them and not necessarily God's kingdom. Jesus says, "If you want to be in a relationship with me, if, if you really, if you want to get beyond just um, talking on the telephone with me, if you want to get beyond just this dating phase, you got to be willing to lose your life." I remember when I was growing up, you know. We used to have three phases of a relationship in high school. We had um, we had um, going together, we had talking, and we had you know just friends. Now I, you know, and, and what was funny is is going together means you better not look at my girl, you better not talk to my girl, you better not try to do nothing. That this is mine, right? Then you got talking, and that's when you know. You say, hey, girl, what's your, what's your name? And you do all this talking and coercing. You say, let me, get, let me get them digits. Then <laughs> you pull out your hand, and she write it on you, your hand. And and you talking. So you get on the phone in this talking relationship, and y'all are talking. Y'all can still date other people. Um, you can kind of just because if people say, "What's the, I saw y'all together. What were y'all? Oh, we're we not together. we just talking. Jesus is calling to these people to get beyond just talking. Jesus gets sick of that. And he begins to issue a challenge. And many of us, where we are in our lives, do everything within the framework of our personal power to avoid a challenge. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when Jesus Christ calls a man, he bids him to die. Jesus, Jesus here says, listen, you got to be willing to lose your life. Now, the word lose here is an interesting word. It, it doesn't just mean, uh, it, 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 it actually means to ruin or destroy your life. Wh- wh- what happens is, is when we love ourselves so much. Now, the Bible assumes that we love ourselves because in Ephesians 5, it says, listen, it says, listen, no man ever hated his own body, but he nourishes it. So you should do for your wife. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Don't think too high. Don't think too low. So the Bible doesn't cause call us to hate ourselves in this sense that we don't have any love for the temple. However, he says, if you if you love your life so much that all you focus on is your own life and your love is self-focused and knee focused. He says, then what will happen is you will begin to ruin your life. And a big thing in our minds and a big thing in our culture is we need to learn. We, we shouldn't let the culture uh, 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 promote us in our 15 minutes of fame of life. We shouldn't let the culture tell us what we ought to do in relation to just self-love. And just we don't spend time with ourselves in the morning. Like some one show said, wait, what you should do every morning is you should spend 15 minutes just thinking about yourself. You should meditate, look in, look in the mirror. Look at your nose. Look at your chin. Just look at you. You need to spend some time with you. Like one of the one of the one of the hardest messages I'm I, 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 I type of people to speak. I can't stand motivational speakers. I'm sorry. Pray for me. Mo, I, I mean, pray for me. Motivational speakers basically goes in. And promotes people to feel good about dirt. Do you know who you are? You, you're somebody special. We're Margo Day, all of that. We're born in the image of God. However, there's a heightened and passionate awareness to, to already feed into people's natural inclination to love themselves. And so what we have to begin to do is we have to begin to see life in light of God and saying, listen, I have to see my love of myself in light of something else and someone else greater. And so Jesus Christ says, if you want to be in a relationship with me, listen, cause I do it. Jesus says, I came here to die. I love y'all more than I love myself. And so I'm not asking you to do anything. That I wouldn't do myself. And most people, when they hear this terminology, they think we're preaching a gloomy Christianity. That's not a gloomy Christianity. It's not a gloomy Christianity, because if we could help ourselves, we would be better by now. And so he says you have to be willing to forfeit your life, put your life on the line. Are you willing to put uh, look, uh, uh, are you willing to put your life on the line for the gospel? Are you willing to put your life on the line for more than your career direction? Are you willing to put your life on the line more than just for somebody that like you and you like them and you trying to rig your way in a way that keeps them hooked? Will you begin to lose your life for Christ and stop ruining it by living for ourselves? Our generation has to work through that a whole, 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 whole bunch because our generation, in some ways, and I'm not dogging us, but we're an entitlement generation. And sometimes we feel like people owe us something. And so what we want to do is we want to open our hands to receive the blessings of someone else's labor, but we don't want to be laborers for somebody else. And it's a bad man telling you, you ever been with a selfish person that. They All they want to do is what they want to do. You ever went out with somebody, and you got in the car with them, and you hung with them, and, and every time y'all go somewhere, you got to go where they want to go eat. You got to go to see the movie that they want to go see. You got to go to the mall that they like. You got to go do this video. And, sometimes, and at first, you know, if you're in a relationship with somebody, at first that's kind of cute. First few days or first few months, that's kind of cute. Oh, he, he wants to go here. Oh, she wants to go here, man. So, you know, probably, you know, China, you know how I'm doing, man. <laughs> I'm just trying to, you know, we got to submit at the early end of that thing, man. But, but after a while, somebody that's selfish, that all they want to do is what they want to do, and they want to go where they want to go, and they want to eat what they want to eat, make you eat stuff you don't like. That gets old after a while gets old. And at a certain point, there got, got to be some confrontation about that person's lack, listen, their lack of willingness to die. That's what we have to be able to do, is, is we have to be able to not only live life for ourselves, but live life for someone else. In the VTech thing, I was blown away by the, by the by, when they talk, talked about the teacher who found out the guy was shooting. And the teacher told the students to jump out the window, and he got in the door and allowed the guy to shoot him. How many of us, I always, when I hear that type of stuff, I always ask myself a question. I always ask myself, as much as I love my wife, as much as I love my son, as much as I love y'all, I always ask myself, if the rubber met the road, will I die for somebody else? Will I focus on the pain of the death, or will I focus on the fruit that my death would bear? I always ask myself that question, and it always scares me. Jesus Christ bids us to die, and he's in this passage and he's telling these people he says, listen, I don't just call, God ain't called me just to die. God called all of us to die is what Jesus is saying, and then Jesus goes from there and he not only says he who loses who loves his life who is a is his own best friend because the word phileo means love and best friend friendship with yourself whoever loves his life loses it and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life this is a this is an interesting word hate jesus says if you want to be in a relationship with me you got to hate yourself. <laughs> that sounds crazy. But the question is, what does it look like to hate yourself? Jesus says that when it comes, when, when, if you're in a relationship with me, if you're truly in a relationship with me, what will happen is your phileo, your friendship love for yourself will come on the table. But then I will come on the table and I will begin to challenge you with something. And when I challenge you with something, you're willing to put what you want on the back burner so that what I want can be in the front. Real simple principle. But the question is, are we willing to let our love for ourselves look like hate in comparison to the level of love that we have for God's kingdom? See, that's what hate means. Hate means in comparison, in comparison to how much you love yourself, in comparison to how much you love God. God's your love for God always wins. And and we have to ask ourselves the question, are we willing to love ourselves to death? Are we willing to love ourselves in such a way where we begin to re-rig our lives, reconfigure our lives in a way that may be uncomfortable and sacrificial? That's very important. And and we've been saying this for a while, but the text just keeps bringing it up. And as long as the Bible brings it up, we're going to keep preaching it. Sacrificial love for ourselves. And so, but Jesus goes on. As he talks about that thing, and, and, and he goes down and he says something, and he, he, I like the way he does this here. He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. That's unique. He, he says, if you say you serve me, it must, cause follow me in, in, in John is discipleship. He says, if anyone says that they're serving me, they must be a disciple. Disciple means, in this context, a sacrificial follower. That means willing to give up anyone, anything, and any place for when God's will is presented to me, I'm ready to let whatever was in front of that take the back burner. But Jesus does a dichotomy here. He says, whoever served me must follow me. Jesus says this. He says, listen, fellas. He said, listen, ladies. He says... I don't want any cheap volunteers. Jesus says if, if a person, he says service minus discipleship is volunteerism. He says service plus discipleship is a cruciform life. Because, see, many people can say that they're serving Christ because they're doing something that looks kingdomly. But they're not dying. See, it makes like people that go to New Orleans. When they went down to New Orleans, when New Orleans had that tragedy, a, a lot of people went down there, we're gonna build houses, we're gonna do all this, and that's good, we need to do that. But they had they could leave. Like they didn't live there. After they helped out, did their volunteer work, prayed, dipped. But the people of New Orleans had to stay there. Some people said, look, I'm going to do more than just come here as a seasonal volunteer. I I care so much about this that I'm willing to move there and continue to help and in the process and make their issues my issues. Jesus says, listen, Jesus, listen, I don't want cheap volunteers that clock in and clock out in their Christianity. I want people who are willing to merge the entire thing together to have a passionate pursuit of me. Besides just saying, well, what you asking me to do? I mean, I did do that. But when it comes to dying. See, volunteerism is easy to volunteer, and sometimes that's a part of discipleship, but that's not the extent of discipleship. And so that means that everything in our lives must be brought under the passionate reality of living a cruciform life and us loving ourselves to death. We've got to love ourselves So remember, service minus following or discipleship is volunteerism. Service plus following is a cruciform life, is a sacrificial life. And remember this, our service to Christ doesn't atone for our lack of sacrifice. See, many of us will say, because I served, like that atones for me, not Living a sacrificial life. I'll just, you know, let that count. And when, like, I'm challenged with anything, I'll just remind God that I did this. And Jesus says, no, I need them married. They need to live under the same roof. That's real important for us. So he says we got to die to our interest. And Jesus says, he says, where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. If anyone serves me. The Father will honor him. Jesus points out that if you die to self, if you begin to embrace, he said, this is what all, he he says, this is what chapters, John says, this is what chapters 1 through 12 was about. It's about you dying to self and embracing my kingdom principles above your personal preferences. But then he goes down and he begins kind of shifting his talk a little bit. He says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. The crowd said, dang, what was that? Somebody said it thundered. Somebody said, oh, that's just an angel talking to him. Then it said, Jesus says, These people are tripped. This voice came for your sake. Like, that wasn't for me. He says, he does something. Now he makes an intensive shift. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die (laughs) powerful jesus talks about here he says now he says now he says now is my soul troubled? That's the same word we talked about when I was talking about um, uh, John 11. When Jesus wept, he wept because of the unbelief of the people, and he wept because of the fallenness of the world and his passion for redemption. When Jesus was standing here, and after he talked about the need to die and the, and, and the, and the honor that a person has for the Father, the characteristics of sacrificial love and the characteristics of self-love, then Jesus goes over and he says, he says listen, he says, I'm troubled. In other words, that word there can be translated, he stirred to anger. He stirred to anger. And it says, he he says, and what shall I say? He said, now, what do y'all think I should do? Like, I'm telling y'all to do this. He said, what do y'all think I should do? He said, should I just say, Father, save me from this hour? He says, but this is why I came. Brings us to our next point. First point, we saw that, like, yeah, you must love yourself to death. That's what Jesus challenges us to do. But then after that, Jesus proclaims the cross as the definer of eternal relationships. Jesus proclaims the cross as the definer of eternal relationships. In this section, he goes down and says, look, should I now renege on my willingness to die? Should I now renege that I told you, said I now renege since I'm requiring you to die? He says, no, that's the rhetorical question. But he says this. He says, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Jesus, Jesus, the the cross defines Jesus's divine purpose. That word, the hour there. The hour is not just from from one hour to the next 60 minutes. Jesus compacts the hour of the time of his death the time of his resurrection and his exaltation, he says, now is the hour. that." he says, all of my life, the reason why I rolled up my eternal sleeves and came to earth was because of this specific purpose for this specific hour. And this hour has now been inaugurated, and this is why I come. And this is this hour, this word hour points in the book of John to the redemptive hour where Jesus Christ is going to change things. But then he goes next and he says, he says, Father, glorify your name. In other words, when he says this, he's talking about the cross is where the place where God the Father is most glorified. When he says, Father, glorify your name, he says, Father, bring attention to your name. He says, Father, I'm I, I, he said, I haven't, he said, you know, I've been holding back. He said, I've been holding back. He said, Father, so now I'm gonna ask you. Like, we got a relationship. I'm trying to get people to amp up their relationship, and now I'm asking you glorify your name, bring attention to your name. And the father says from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. What he's saying here is the father is saying, I've already brought attention to my name. In a minute, I'm finna to bring it to my name again. Now, what does he mean? He's glorified it already. He brought it He he already brought attention to his name. Well, through the miracles, because remember we're in the book of signs, he already brought attention to his name through Jesus Christ's works. Before the cross, now he's going to glorify it again by bringing glory to his own name. Philippians 2 says it like this, that because of Jesus Christ's humiliation and his exaltation, God bestowed upon him a name that's above every name. What did God do? The name that people used to call on was Yahweh. Yahweh. Whenever, when Abraham built an a, um, a altar in the wilderness, he yelled the name Yahweh. When Elijah was praying, he prayed to Yahweh and fire came down to consume. Whenever the high priest went into, um, w- went into the temple, went into the holiest of holy, and they began to sit the, uh, send the scapegoat out, the name that they would call, it was Yahweh. When, and, and it got so that the name was so holy that it was a hush-hush name. Nobody could say it except for on special occasions or you were in trouble. But, God, but Jesus says, Father, bring attention to the name that these people around me want to keep silent and claim they like the name but really don't live in light of the name. But what God does based on Philippians 2 is God does an injection. He takes the name Yahshua and everything that was real of Yahweh, he injects into that name. So that now when Jesus Christ is on the cross, everything that you said about Yahweh, now you got to say about Jesus. Because God has allowed Jesus to be so powerfully exalted that now when the name of Jesus is mentioned, he actually makes Jesus' name higher than his own personal name. And so Jesus says, God, glorify your name. He says, now inject in my name what you, what we was hollering about for, 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 for eternal centuries. He says, see, this is the relationship. You're not getting in a relationship with no fluke cat. He says, you're getting in a relationship with a cat. Then when you call my name, stuff move. When you call on my name, stuff happens. When you call on my name, souls are saved. People are taken from spiritual death to spiritual life. Glorify your name, Father. He says so. He says, He said, I I give you, Jesus Christ is saying, glorify my name. He said, this is not for me, but for you, because Jesus wants us to name drop. See, some people say, Oh, I don't like that person because they name drop too much. But this Jesus gives us the eternal freedom to name drop. Because some of us utilize other people's names, human names of important people to name drop and we name drop because we want people to know that we know them and think we got a personal relationship when usually we don't. We just playing like we do and we got an autograph or something. But Jesus says, but Jesus says, listen, Father, glorify your name, prop up your name, put attention to your name, not the name of Yahweh, the name of Jesus through the cross. And so now we can name drop, but when we name drop, it's okay to say like, I'm in a personal relationship with this cat. And so he says, Father, glorify your name. And then the people get confused. (laughs) The people get confused over the voice of God. God finally speaks the thing that they're asking for. Give us a sign. The father speaks and they get confused about it. Let me tell you something. Unbelief, unbelief, this is a side note. Unbelief will always cloud the voice of God in your life. Always. Many of us are always wanting God, I want you to I want you to speak to me. I want you to say something to me. Lord, give me a word. And if you're not believing and you're in a and you're in a self-love relationship with yourself, then what will happen is when God actually says something, you'll miss it because you love yourself and I Him. And so what will happen is God ain't speaking to me. I don't know why God ain't talking to me. And it's because of our level of self-love rather than sacrificial life. So not only does the cross bring the most glory to God, but the but the cross restores eternal order. He says, now, he says, now is the judgment of this world. The world is a system that came into existence post the fall. Y'all still with me? And so and so what happened is is the world became a system of of operating outside of the sphere of God's work. It it, it was man's, it was in the midst of the fallen world, when we look at Genesis 3 and Adam chose to eat the fruit, it initiated something. Because listen, in the next verse it says, it says, now the ruler of this world was cast out. Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, said man was given vice regency. That means man was given the ability to rule. The first Adam was given the, promo. he said, listen, I want you to rule the earth. Subdue it. The devil was like, oh, man. Like, how are you going to give, like, to a lesser dude? Like, I'm fine as I am. I don't see why I ain't got all that rulership. Satan goes on up and in in, in, you know and does his thing and, and 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 cops the rule. What Satan does is when he tricked Adam, Adam gave up his birthright. When Adam gave up his birthright to rule. He lost the ability to control the animals. He lost the ability to have a when-you-want-to relationship with God and call on his name, kick it with him. He lost that. And so the enemy became the prince and power of the air. He became the ruler of the known world, the seen world. And he uses three things to rule. He uses the flesh. he He uses death. And, and, and he uses sin. He uses flesh. The flesh is passions and desires that are opposite God's desires. Death is the fact that when we ate from the tree, tree of knowledge of, of good and evil and we partake in sin, we die. Sin is, of course, missing the mark. Satan strategically uses these tools in his arsenal. Jesus says right here, he says, God, bring attention to your name. And I want you to bring attention to it on the cross. He says, and when I when I get lifted up, I'll draw All men unto me. And this was he talking about was his death the way he was going to die. Well, what Jesus did on the cross is Jesus did something powerful. Is Jesus says, where's your tool belt, Satan? Come here. He took Satan's tool belt, sin. He takes death. And he takes those things away from Satan because Colossians chapter 2 said he disarmed the rulers. And when Jesus Christ was on the cross, when Jesus Christ was on the cross, the Bible says he made a public spectacle of the enemy. And so what Jesus Christ, it's like a dude on the block, say, everybody freeze. And then somebody just come like Bruce Lee and just takes the joint and take the joint out of their hand. and say, you freeze, Joker. You Know what I'm saying? You get down on the ground. You break yourself. That's what Jesus did on the cross. So Jesus is, he ain't even died yet, and he says, he says, listen, the ruler of this world will be cast out. That's practically and ultimately. So right now, he gives those who trust him the power over sin, the power over death, And he he gives us power over those things, and he gives us power over the flesh. He gives us power over the influence of our own passions unsubmitted to the cross. He gives us power over sin where we don't have to sin, and he gives us power over death because we only die once, maybe. Somebody missed that. And so when Jesus Christ came to the cross, he's giving the benefits of a relationship. See a lot of people talk smack in the rela- Girl, I'm telling you, you get in a relationship with me, i buy you what you want, girl. You know what I'm saying? Um, um, I'm telling you, you been like, And then we, you know we got some crazy songs that talk about the benefits of relationship. But those people lie and over exaggerate the benefits of being in a relationship with them. But Jesus never over-exaggerates what it's like to be in a relationship with him. Jesus speaks highly and exactly about what it's like to be in a bond relationship with him. And so, but the question I always ask, and we always have to ask ourselves, if this relationship is so beneficial, then why don't we utilize this relationship? So Jesus, Jesus here begins to lay out continuously what the work of the cross will do. It will remove the enemy. Jesus is going to do this ultimately. Jesus is going to Heat up the lake of fire. He's going to say, fire on, and that joint going to flow. And then what he's going to do is he's going he gonna to snag Satan. Satan going to be trying to—he's going to re- he gonna snag Satan and throw him alive into that joint. He's going to take sin, death, and the flesh, and he's going to throw them into the lake of fire and burn them forever. But until then, he's given us the blood, the spirit, and a testimony as a, as a, as a nice little hangover and a sneak preview of an eternal reality. And so Jesus begins overloading the people. He said, this is what you're going to miss out on. This is what you're going to miss out on in a relationship with me as he goes, because he's going to spend more time with his disciples. So everything's going to be re-restored again. But not only that, the cross brings different people groups together. He says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all kinds of people to myself. So what Jesus is calling for people is a church, is a church, a universal church that reflects more than one cultural ethos. Jesus says, I'm not just saving Jews. I want to save a multitude of people. How do we know that? Because in this passage, the Greeks come. And so Jesus says, if I'm lifted up from the earth, and we know that it's not just his ascension, but his work on the cross, because the verse after this says, what does it say? Because he was talking about the kind of death that he was going to die. Through the cross, the cross brings people who wear their pants baggy, who got suits on, whose name is Tom, Richard, and Dick, and brings Ray Ray, Pablo, and all of us together. That's what the cross does. See, many of us don't like a cross that brings everybody together. We like a cross that keeps people apart. Jesus says, if, if you want a relationship with me, you got to learn how to deal with people that ain't like you. I'm not just talking about they, don't, they, they, they just wear different clothes. I'm talking about different complexion. He says, the, the cross is going to deal with our racism. The cross is going to everybody, not just white people's racism, but also black folks' racism. The cross gets rid of us saying, you know how white people are. The cross gets rid of, you know how black people are. You, the cross gets rid of, you know how mixed people are. The cross, get, the cross gets rid of, you know how Latinos are. You, you got The cross, you know how Iraqi people, you know how African, you know how, you know. No, the cross says, shut your mouth. And everybody's guilty of it because we got, we got our little corner conversations. And Jesus points to us. He said, if you want to be in relationship with me, you got to like the other people that I'm in a relationship with. It's just like a, like a mom. She said, look, I got five kids, baby. I got five kids. Listen, if you want me, you want them too. If you don't want them, you don't want me. All right? And that's what Jesus said. Jesus say, if you don't want a relationship with them, you don't want a relationship with me, fam. And so Jesus has called us. And I believe we're in an age where there's a unique global opportunity. Is the earth has just became from local, national, and international to global, global. The, 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 the world is no longer global or local. The world, the world is now coming to cities. Philadelphia represents a multi-ethnic ethos, um, our area especially. Um, 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 hip-hop culture has allowed for a multitude of cultures. Greatest article I've read in a long time. You've got to read National Geographic's article on hip-hop culture. Best article about, I mean, and what I like about National Geographic is they seek to go different places where nobody has ever been and bring that reality to them. And this is what's powerful is they lay that thing out. The cross This and that's what we're supposed to be about. But Jesus, Jesus is saying clearly that we've got to be more than about us. We know that this neighborhood is 94% African-American. It's in transition. We got little Puerto Rico over here. Look, and we and we are not a black church. Let me just say that. We're not a black church. We're not seeking to be a black church. We're seeking to be a cross-centered church. A cross-centered church Takes everything, and and, and it's hard because when we talk about this, I didn't mean to spend this much time here. But when you talk about this, you got to be willing, and this is where we talk about sacrificial life: is you got to be willing um, to bring your life under the cross in every single way, and you got to begin building relationships with more people than people that in the first five minutes we felt like we've known each other forever, and them the only people you like. The cross, because that's just that's just that's not sacrificial love. Sacrificial love is the willingness that even though we didn't click in the first five minutes, that I'm willing to go jump over the hoops to be in a relationship with you. And that doesn't mean that everybody got a lollygag and uh, smack flowers and and, and go through. I'm not saying everybody got to do that. Like, uh, oh, isn't the world so great? This is just a utopia. Thanks for being in a relationship. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm But what I am talking about is the cross. Listen, the cross demands that we face each other. The cross demands that we begin to say, listen, I remember when I was my first year seminary and I sat down with some white guys and we sat down and we began, like, I said, now I'm not going to like, just don't say the N word. I said, don't say that because I I mean, I'm growing in the area of punching, but I said, but I said, but I'm just, I'm growing in that area. I said, but uh, let's, let's lay out your frustrations with black people and I want to lay out my frustrations with white people now we're not going to fight are we and we all sat down and said he said yeah i mean i mean these were guys like from south dakota type dudes just totally different from me i mean i don't even know what it's like in south dakota i'm from the inner city of dc sitting with these cats so we sit down and we began working through how we feel about each other i was like for real that's that's crazy no, ain't true. And then we start working through the Next thing you know, and we became accountability partners through seminary. It was, a, it was a Korean dude. It was a Japanese dude, Latino dude, two black dudes, and two white dudes, and a dude from Syria. And all of us became accountability partners <laughs> throughout our, our whole journey. And we fought through issues. Like, they said crazy stuff, and they ain't like, man, I ain't talking to him no more. I didn't like foot. I, you know how we get. Somebody say something crazy, it's stupid, and just not, naive, and we just pull back from it. But the Bible calls us not to do that. The Bible calls to forgive our brother seventy times seventy, and it calls us to to be an influence and a developer in their lives as well as allowing them in our lives. But many of us want to want to hold other people accountable, but we don't want anybody to hold us accountable. So what the cross does, the cross demands. Like like I have some I have some 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 white mentors, and they always asking me, Eric, like, is it just a cultural issue or? Can I challenge you on that? I said, man, challenge me and stop dancing around. Stop dancing around. Just challenge me. Stop doing that. Just go in and I'll tell you if you cross the line. But I don't like sometimes we'll try to use like, oh, that's just cultural. So we won't get challenged. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And so but what we got to do is allow ourselves through the work of the cross to be challenged. I got to move. But if you don't like the mixture of people that's here, this is not the place for you. Let me say that again. If you don't like that we got people of different ethnicities here, Epiphany Fellowship just ain't the place for you. Amen? Amen? Amen. But then Jesus, it says, and the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? He says, so Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have light. Lest darkness overtake you, the one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. So Jesus says, listen, I'm about to dip. If you think you blind now, wait till I dip. Jesus said, believe why the light is available. Believe why I'm seekable. Believe, I'm telling you, because when I die on the cross, it's going to be real. But what you're going to see is going to be gruesome. And if you see that, if you don't believe now, you really ain't going to believe when I get on that cross. So you better hurry up and believe. But then he goes into the last part of our section. And he says, so he says, when Jesus had said these things, he says, depart. He departed and hid himself from them. As he, closes the, as he gets ready to close, John gets ready to close this section with a small little footnote epilogue. He says, Jesus, after that, hid himself. Jesus got tired of talking to people who wouldn't commit. He said, he said you know what? It's a wrap for y'all. Grace and peace. I've done everything I can to get you in a relationship with me. See, usually Jesus and John hide himself because somebody was trying to kill him. And it wasn't his time yet. But this time, Jesus hides himself because of the lack of belief. And he goes further and John begins to talk and he says, says, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe him so that the word that was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, to the prophet Isaiah must be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what, um, what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn. and, and, and I will heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. This is a powerful passage. You you have uh, John taking Isaiah 53 and he takes Isaiah 6. He quotes Isaiah six. I mean he quotes Isaiah 53 first and he uh, and he quotes Isaiah um, six second. And what he does is he he did, he does something interesting. Isaiah 53 is about the death of Christ. Isaiah 6 is about the glory of Christ, because the Bible says that with the train of his robe filling the temple and the cherubim and seraphim and all of that, he said that wasn't just somebody. He says this was Isaiah when he saw Jesus's glory. So when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and the angels calling him Adonai and Yahweh, it was Jesus chilling on the throne and his holiness blinding cats. And so Isaiah, like, makes the connection. Like, he's writing chapter 6, then he gets all the way up to 53. He's like, hold up. Chapter 6, glory. Chapter 53, shame. But glory. I don't know how much Isaiah knew, but John says that he said this when he spoke of his glory. It's powerful how he sees The exaltation of Jesus in eternity. Just as glorious as he sees his work on the cross. He didn't just see his glory in chapter six when they were saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord. He saw his glory when it says and the Lord was pleased to crush him and as got so excited about it, he said yo lord in, in, in response to that he's saying back to the lord what the lord is telling him to say who has believed his report and who to whom has the arm of the lord been revealed i it's probably wonder who in the world knows this that god is going to become flesh and uh, out of his glory and come down and die and still be glorious who knows that and then he says but i'm going to harden some of them is because everybody's not going to be able to listen to it then he says nevertheless many of the authorities believed in him But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. So they were more concerned about the glory of man than the glory of Christ. Right in front of their eyes was the long awaited glorious Messiah. And they said, man, I like my ring because they had a ring. I like my robe, I like my gear, I like when I walk past people, everybody says hi to me. I like wearing scripture on my forehead and around my neck and everybody treat me a certain way. I like the relationships that I have with these people more than I'm willing to die to these relationships and have one with God through Jesus Christ. And since that they believed, but their coming out party was inhibited by their love of men. And it says, for they love the glory that comes from man more than they love the glory that comes from God. Then it says, and Jesus cried out. He gives a summary of everything he's been teaching. He says, Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me, believes not in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as the light, so that whoever believes in me, may not remain in darkness if anyone hears my words and does not keep them guard them i do not judge him for i did not come this time to judge the world but to save the world the one who rejects me does not receive my words as a judge the word which i have spoken will judge him on that last day For I have not come, I I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the father has told me. Last but not least, Jesus commits to relationship beyond talking. Jesus says finally he says listen he said this is why i came he says this is why i came to the planet he said i came to the planet specifically for the purpose of bringing people out of darkness and bringing them in into light and he says and the command i want to leave them with is he says i want that he said i want you all to know that believing in me is not a request it's a command believing in god believing in god through christ Is not a request. God isn't asking us to trust him. He commands that we trust him. Jesus calls it a commandment. And as we dip and as we go, I pray. As we go into the rest of our gathering, I pray that we would begin um, to see. The cross for what it is, begin to see that Jesus calls us beyond mediocre relationship. That he calls us. To be people that are willing to go deeper in our calling with them. That, 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 that are willing to go beyond just talking on the phone. Go beyond writing nice little letters and saying, do you like me? Yes. No. Maybe. Leave a little cute letters. now Jesus says, okay, it's time for us to go public and define this relationship. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You 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 already s- s- have a view of Christ already. Well, Christ is calling you to say, "Listen, stop living for yourself, and recognize that all your life since you were born, every person is born living for themselves. We we wake up in right after the doctor smacks us with crying. We're hungry. It's okay to cry. Nothing bad about crying, until it's about." Our feeding. I tell us about us and what we need. And Babies are born wanting their own needs met. We grow up wanting our own needs met. We grow up on greed. We grow up on our own personal passions and our own personal desires being satisfied. And so Jesus says, listen, in committing to a relationship with me, I've taken on myself all of your selfishness. All of your selfishness. And I give to you my selflessness. Will you trust in Christ today? If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, we hope that believing in him and the pardon of your sins, not anything, not your good works, not I pray, not I read the Bible, not, not, not I go to church, none of that. Not I come to women's time, men's time. Not I do this and I do that. No, knowing Christ and the pardon of sins by faith alone, through Christ alone, absolutely no works at all. Trusting in Christ and that Christ took the hit that you could never hit. But then for the believer, calling us in deeper, calling us in becoming more than just daters in our discipleship to become uh, 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 sacrificial in our discipleship. Father, we thank you that you've called us deeper, that you want to move beyond a relationship where it's just friends with benefits. Um, you, you, you don't want to just have a friends with benefits relationship.